Welcome to OICAST. I hear green. The podcast presented by OICAST Vienna. Hello and welcome to another episode of OICAST. I am Malena and today I'm here with Clara for another episode of our thesis talk series. Clara finished her bachelor's degree in International Business Administration at WU Vienna a few months ago and wrote her bachelor thesis about sustainable mobility behavior. Hi Clara. Hi Malena, thank you for having me. I'm so happy that you're here today. So tell us, what was your thesis topic to be exact? Of course, so I wrote about the Culture Token app which is an app that's being developed by the city of Vienna. And I wrote about how specifically how it affects the mobility behavior of Generation Z. So what I did, I did an, a theoretical discussion on nudging and whether the Kultur Token app is a nudge or an incentive. And I also did an empirical survey to find out about how this app might change the mobility behavior of different age groups and that then narrowed it down to Generation Z. Mm -hmm. That sounds very interesting. So what is this app exactly? Um, the Culture Token app is an app that basically tracks your mobility behavior and it can distinguish between whether you take a private car, a bus, a public transport or a bike or whether you walk by foot. So according to how much you move sustainably, that is um, how much you walk, take a bike or take public transport, then you can gain a culture token and the culture token gives you free um, access to museums and uh, concert halls and different kinds of cultural events in Vienna. And this app is by the City of Vienna? Yes, it's a collaboration between the City of Vienna and the Institute for Crypto Economics in the, or of the Vienna University of Economics and Business. Oh, that's very cool. Yes. I have to admit that I had never heard of the Culture Token app before you told me about it. It's definitely a fascinating concept, especially if you're into museums, concerts or theaters. So how did you come up with the idea to write about this app as a nudge? And how did you manage to narrow your topic down a bit? Um, so I knew that I wanted to write in the field of behavioral economics. And I have to admit, I hate mind maps, but I did a mind map for this. <laughs> so I wrote down all the different topics that I could imagine uh, writing about. And I don't remember where I first heard about the Culture Token app, but I thought it's absolutely perfect for me because I'm very much into culture and the arts and as well as sustainability as well. So I felt like I was the perfect target group, to be honest, for this app. Um, so I've, I came up with the idea to write about this and connect it to this um, economic concept of nudging. And then I basically had my structure going from there. To be honest, I didn't have to narrow it down much more. The structure was pretty clear for me from then on. That was I needed a theoretical framework, so I needed to write about the theory behind it. I needed to introduce the Culture Token app, of course, as well as um, the context, so the um, public transport and infrastructural context here in Vienna and also briefly introduce the cultural um, institutions that are part of the Culture Token app. And then I definitely also wanted to do something myself. So I also included a survey um, and then discussed the results of my survey and my findings in my thesis. Mm -hmm. Well, that sounds like a perfect fit, I guess. Absolutely was. <laughs> 
So you just already mentioned a nudging theory and your thesis also gives some great insights into human behavior in general. The question of how decision makers can change people's behaviors in a responsive way is widely discussed and there's no easy answer to it, I would say. So could you give us some more theoretical insights into the theory of nudging? Absolutely, I would love to. So the nudging theory, nudging, the concept of nudging um, is located in the academic field of behavioral economics. And what that is based on is basically that with other economic theories, you assume that humans make perfect decisions with perfect information all the time. And that's just not the case in reality. Um, Instead, as normal humans, we use, for example, rules of thumb, we stick to default options because we're too lazy, to be honest, to change the default option to something else, unless we feel very strongly about it. Um, and another example, we find losses more antagonizing than we find um, gains enjoyable. So all of these things kind of play into this field of behavioral economics and then you have um, the concept of dynamic inconsistencies and hyperbolic discounting, which is the, acad uh, the academic terms basically for what we do every year when we set New Year's resolutions. Mm -hmm. So we say, oh, for example, I want to go to the gym more. And then that's far off in the future. So it's very easy to say, oh, I'll go to the gym twice a week. We all know that. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> and we all know that when the time comes to actually go to the gym, we very much prefer to just stay on our couch and not move. Um, and that's basically what this is about. As long as what you have in, as long as your intention and what you have in mind is far off in the future, it's easy to make the right choice or the sustainable choice or the choice that you know will benefit your health. But as the time of realization advances, so as the time where you actually have to get up and go to the gym, as that comes closer, the less likely we are <laughs> and the more we prefer a short-term reward and that's just staying on our couch. So in our example, we have a short-term reward that's staying on our couch and not moving and a long-term reward that would be going to the gym and increasing our health by going to the gym. The concept of nudging is located in this field because a nudge tries to get people to or incentivize people in a way to do the healthier, more sustainable, better thing, um, but without changing their economic incentives a whole lot. So the definition of nudging, as it was coined by Taller and Sunstein in 2008, is that a nudge is any aspect of a choice architecture that alters people's behavior in a predictable way without forbidding any options or significantly changing the economic incentives behind it. So a nudge basically is said to improve people's lives, but at the same time be non-intrusive. So you don't force people to do what the nudge says. Mm -hmm. Instead, you kind of nudge them in mm -hmm. that direction. But then it's it's not very, so the, the concept of nudging is not very established in academia yet. It's a very new concept. 2008 was when they came out with their first book on nudging. Um, so it's definitely not established yet. And it's also very context specific and very context sensitive. So not every context calls for a nudge and not every one of society's problems can be solved by a nudge, mm -hmm. of course. But nudges do definitely have potential more in the smaller everyday decisions that we make. Mm -hmm. And then it's also very important to recognize in which contexts laws and, le and regulations are more appropriate than a nudge. 
Mm-hmm. Do you have an example for us? Um, I would actually say that this Culture Token app is a very good example for a small everyday decision that you take. Mm-hmm. Um, so if we take this long-term goal of a healthy planet, then we know, we all know that we can get there by using more public transport or taking a bike or walking. But if you have a private car at home, it might be more convenient to take that private car on a daily basis because it gets you there, it gets you right from door to door. Um, I don't have a private car, so I can't really <laughs> empathize much more than, than that. So it, it's presumably maybe faster or more convenient for mm-hmm. people to take their private car. Um, so that will be the short term incentive at first to take the car because it's more convenient. Okay. And then with the app, the goal would be to give people another reason to take public transport mm-hmm. to get to that long term goal because they can then get free access to cultural events and that mm-hmm. that is more attractive than the convenience of taking their private car. Okay, so it's basically a very positive way of um, getting people to do what you want them to do. Exactly. Without forcing them to do anything. Exactly. And imposing laws. Okay, yeah. very interesting. So it uh, definitely makes a lot of sense to use this as an incentive to make people act uh, in a more climate-friendly way, as you already said. Do you think this knowledge about nudging could also be used in order to conquer the COVID-19 crisis by, for example, motivating people to get uh, vaccinated? Absolutely. Great question, by the way. (laughs) Um, Absolutely. And there's been several studies already that looked into different nudging examples in the context of vaccinations. Maybe not necessarily COVID-19 vaccinations, um, but there's been some um, advances in that direction as well. These studies that I found, they... Um, also say that in, like information campaigns or setting incentives, for example, making vaccinations free and easily accessible to people, that that's, those are examples for nudges in that field and that they work and that the one that had the most potential and worked the best, let's say, was to changing the default option. So instead of every individual having to schedule an appointment for vaccination, Instead of that, you assign people an appointment or you say, we've reserved a slot or we've reserved a a vaccine Mm -hmm. for you at this time and then giving them the option to change the time and day, of course. Mm -hmm. But if you change the default option from people having to make an appointment themselves, if you change that to people already having an appointment and basically all they need to do is just show up there, that was the one that um, in those studies um, had the biggest impact. That's very interesting. I think the city of Vienna is also thinking about doing that now and really sending uh, postal invitations to each individual in uh, Vienna. So that might be very effective, according to Nudging. That's a great idea. Yes, absolutely. If I may add one more thing. So Taler, one of the founders of the Nudging concept, he also said that Nudging can have a big potential in um, conquering the pandemic, but more so in the beginning, so in the early stages of the pandemic. But once most people who can somehow be incentivized or nudged um, to get vaccinated, they will already be vaccinated at this point, basically. Mm -hmm. So you might have to think about other concepts that might be more appropriate. Well, that sounds like a great plan. Let's get back to the core of your thesis a little bit. Um, How did you structure your research in order to evaluate the Kultur Token app's nudging potential? 
Um, so what I did, of course, at first I defined what is a nudge. I looked at different potentials and also limitations of um, the concept of nudging, and then then compared it to an economic incentive um, from game theory and how it's defined in game theory and how it's different from a nudge. And then I looked at the different features of the app and I tried to classify them as either a nudging feature or an incentive feature, which of course wasn't that easy because it's not that clear cut for all these different features. Um, one example for a nudging feature would be that the app gives relevant feedback. Um, so you can basically see your culture token grow as you so in one of the one of the screens of the app, you, you see a little flower and the flower kind of grows as your culture token grows, as you use public transport more or as you walk more or use your bike more. Um, and another thing, another nudging example would be that the app quantifies the emissions that you saved, which is something that you wouldn't think of in numeric terms usually, because you can't really, as a, as a lay person, you can't really mm -hmm define, okay, I saved this many kilograms of CO2 now that I took public transport instead mm -hmm. of a private car. And the app does exactly that. So it, it tells you in numeric terms how much CO2 you have saved. Um, so those are two examples of nudging, for example. So is this um, gamified uh, aspect of the app also an important part of nudging? I mean, I know that from consumer research that you would try to use uh, little games and videos and graphics a lot to motivate people to do something or get them more engaged. Is that a huge part of the effectiveness of this app? Um, I can't actually speak to the effectiveness of the app because it's been postponed until after COVID. Okay. Um, so in terms of effectiveness, I can't say it's definitely very, I would say it definitely makes the app very attractive that you have this little flower that grows and you have the different screens that are all very, um, in a very pretty design mm -hmm. as well. Um, as far as I know, there's no little videos embedded. So it's more the gamification part is more the part where you actually act. So the part where you actually take public transport and then you see your flower grow and you see your culture token coming to life basically and then being able to use your culture token for free admissions to a museum or a theater. Mm -hmm. But as to whether that's the most effective part of it, we don't know yet. Okay. Oh my God, I'm so excited for this app already. I Me too, to say. totally. <laughs> Um, and in your in your survey, what exactly did you investigate and what did you find? Because that was a huge part of your thesis in general. Yes, absolutely. So I, I did this theoretical discussion and then I added an, a survey on top of that. Mm -hmm. um, I looked in the survey, I looked at sustainability patterns and also intentions um, and the mobility behavior of all the participants. And um, then I introduced them to the Culture Token app. And, asked, and after introducing them, I asked them, would you change your mobility behavior? Do you think you would move more sustainably now that you've heard about this mm -hmm. app, now that you might have downloaded this app in a hypothetical um, way because you can't download it right now? Um, and of course, I also looked at whether the participants go to culture, cultural events, to museums or to concerts, etc. Um, I looked at all of that for different age groups and then I narrowed it down to um, looking at Generation Z because um, that's where the most significant increase was. So that was an age group that actually um, 
said. So of course, I mean, for the limitations of my study, this was all self-reported hypothetical behavior. So I didn't do an experiment that wasn't within the means of my bachelor thesis. Mm -hmm. I would have loved to, <laughs> but that wasn't within the means of my bachelor thesis. So it's all self-reported. It's all hypothetical behavior that wasn't observed, but that was put into a survey by the participants. But generation said that they um, would definitely and statistically significantly increase their sustainable mobility behavior after downloading the app, which is fantastic. That means that the nudge of the Kultur token works for this age group. That's great. Absolutely. That was such, that was such a cool finding. I was so excited. <laughs> um, then also people who are interested in cultural institutions in general were more likely to use the app and to download the app and to use the app, um, which makes a lot of sense because you're, if you're already interested or if you've maybe already been to one of the cultural institutions that are part of the Culture Token app, so if you've been mm -hmm. to this museum, then you know that, oh, there was a nice exhibition, so I might go there again because there might be another exhibition that I like. Um, but what that means for the app development, of course, is that you want a very broad spectrum of cultural institutions so that you can make the app attractive for as many different people as possible. And then there's a bunch of other um, benefits to all of that. So, of course, this is linked to um, widening the audience of those cultural institutions because, for example, if I've been to three of the four cultural institutions already with my culture token and I have another culture token, then I might consider going to the last one that I might have never been to. Mm -hmm. And so, of course, it's for the institutions, it's also about broadening their audience and introducing new people to their program and things like that. So it's, it's very mm -hmm. interconnected mm -hmm. to a bunch of other topics, mobility, arts, culture, um, all of that, of course. Mm -hmm. Awesome. That's so cool. And was the research a smooth process for you overall? Were there any major struggles? Um, with the research, I have to admit it's been a year. <laughs> um, so what I would definitely recommend is if you're planning to do a survey, get that out first. Let that be the priority in the beginning because you want to give it time to, you want to give your participants time to answer it. So you want to have the survey open for three to four weeks. Mm -hmm. And it also takes quite a bit of time to actually develop the survey mm -hmm. and get it out there. Yes. And then you want to test it with a couple of people and get their feedback and then actually send it out and send it out there and then leave it open for three to four weeks. And after that, you can go on with your data. Um, I would say that I waited, probably waited a bit too long with the survey part. I did a lot of the theoretical part first and then kind of came to the survey and then added the survey after, um, after doing the theory writing, which I could have definitely switched around so that in those four weeks when the survey was online, I could have filled that time with the theory part. So that would definitely mm -hmm. be something that I would do differently now. Mm -hmm. um, in terms of the literature research, it was a very, I mean, nudging is a very new field. It's also not very much recognized in academia mm -hmm. just yet. Um, so there wasn't that much out there either. There was a lot out there I and mean, there, there is a lot out there in the field of behavioral economics in general and also on hyperbolic discounting and that, that area. 
Well, that's definitely a great tip because I think everyone who has ever written a thesis uh, knows that planning and having a good uh, time structure is uh, the most important thing <laughs> in the end. So um, through our thesis talk episodes, we also want to help students who are going to write their thesis soon or have already started potentially. Do you have any other general tips um, you can give others for their thesis writing? Of course. Um, so in general, I would say narrow your topic down as much as possible. It will feel weird in the beginning to have <laughs> such a tiny, tiny thing to write about, but you will fill those pages. And as, as you pro progress, you will see that it's so easy to write so much more and to go off in so many different directions. <laughs> so you want to have a topic from the beginning that is as narrow as possible. That at first, and then if you want to do a survey, it is extra work. It's totally worth it, but really go for it if you want to. If, you if you're not sure, if you feel like you might not want to put the extra work in, because it is a lot of work, you then get all this data and you can do anything you want <laughs> with this data. And you can find out so much more than you can actually put in your thesis. So two things, only go for it if you really want to put in the extra work. And the second thing for the survey is don't lose track of what you want to say and what you want to express with your data. Mm -hmm. Because once you have all this data, of course you want to use it and you want to, you, you can explore so much more than those little, maybe three, four tables that will actually go into your thesis. You will have so much more. So don't lose track of what you actually want to say. Don't mm -hmm. lose track of your, what your actual research question is, of course and what you actually want to find out and answer with this data. Mm -hmm. I love your data enthusiasm, I think, for <laughs> many people. That's one of the hardest parts, but I love that you're so into it. It was definitely the part I enjoyed the most. <laughs> That's really cool. Now, Clara, I've got one last question for you. What are the key takeaways from your thesis that each and every listener should know? Um, I would say that nudging can be very effective and can definitely help with moving towards a more sustainable future. And that the Culture Token app is fantastic and it will be out after the <laughs> pandemic. <laughs> so keep an eye out for that. <laughs> We are all so very excited for it to come out. Thank you so much for taking the time and being here today. Thank Thanks. you for having me. It was a pleasure. <laughs> it was a pleasure to have you. That's it, guys. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoy our thesis talk episodes. Make sure to subscribe to iCast on Spotify and Apple Podcasts to never miss an episode. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you for listening. We are Oikos Vienna, students for sustainable economics and management education. Be informed, get involved and make a difference.